Well, today has been a great day, and I hope that it has been enjoyable for you, and I'm thankful that the Lord has given us another opportunity to gather together and to worship, and uh, we, of course, relish every opportunity that he gives us to do so. It's really a privilege. You know, it's been just a little bit over a month now since we had our Arise Spiritual Growth Seminar, and I was thinking about that uh, just recently and thinking about how many people from outside of the congregation, people that, that came here to visit, how many people pulled one of us to the side and said, thank you. Our attendance for that event this year was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 300, and I don't know what percentage of those were from here and then what percentage were from far, but a very large percentage of people came up to someone and just, again, said thank you. And the reason is because they were looking forward to an opportunity to be able to assemble together with brethren. In fact, it's not just at a rise. I've noticed, and maybe you have too, that over the last weeks and months, as uh, there are various events beginning to take place, there was a young professionals devotional at the Spears house last week, lads to leaders this last weekend, the same, the same thing over and over again. Thank you. We're thankful. We're grateful. This is great. What a great thing we've been able to do. The reason why everyone is so overwhelmed with gratitude for any and every opportunity to be able to assemble with brethren is because one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian is the blessing of fellowship. I want us to talk about fellowship for a little while this evening. I want us to talk about what it is and what it's not and some reasons why we should grow even more so in our appreciation for fellowship in the family of God. The Bible describes fellowship in a number of ways. For example, fellowship is defined as a sharing in common. A sharing in common. Like in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 26 where Paul says, It has pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. He's talking about a financial contribution, but in other passages referring to the same contribution as well as this one, Paul will describe this contribution to help needy saints as a type of fellowship, a sharing in common. It's described as communion. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. What communion has light with darkness? It's described as a joint participation. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 15. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It is a joint participation or a partnership. The church at Philippi had participated or had been a par in partners with the Apostle Paul in his work from the very beginning. It's cooperation. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, Paul says. Cooperation with the sufferings of Christ Jesus. I want to suffer as he suffered. That's the idea of the passage. But see, fellowship, although it has to do with sharing and communion and participation and partnership and cooperation, 
There is a sense of intimacy that is involved and embedded within the term, within the idea. It's not just a mere association. It's like the difference between going to HEB and shopping for food at the same place with a number of people versus sitting down with a number of people at the same table and sharing the food together that's, in, that's uh, been purchased. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. There's a sense of intimacy that is involved in fellowship. Now with that in mind, I want us to notice, I want us to notice a few things. Fellowship is found with God and with his people. This joint participation, this cooperation, this intimate relationship that we're talking about, that exists with God and that exists with his people. Listen to these passages. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. This is what John says. He says, um, That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Notice all three persons of the Godhead are represented in these passages. 1 John 1 verse 3, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14. We have fellowship, we have a relationship, we have a connection, if you will, with God, with the Father and with the Son and with the Spirit. In some way, the Bible describes us as being in fellowship with all of them. But that's not all. We are also described as being in fellowship with God's people. In Psalm 119, in verse number uh, 63, the psalmist says, I am a companion of all of those who love your law, of all of those who keep your precepts. Think about that for a moment. That implies, on the psalmist's part, that implies some desire and some intention. The psalmist had a desire to be at one, a desire to be in fellowship with everyone who, to borrow language from the New Testament, possessed a like precious faith. The psalmist had a desire to be at one with and to have fellowship with all of those who loved God and who loved his word to the same extent that he did. Look at 1 John chapter 1 again, but this time look at what John says in verse 5 through 7. 1 John chapter 1 beginning in verse 5, John says this, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from, our, from all sin. You see, this is the, the end of the full thought that began in verse 3, which we read just a moment ago. And in this passage, beginning in verse 3, extending down through verse number 7, John describes our fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with one another. 
John describes our fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with one another, all being dependent upon our willingness to walk in the light and to serve the Lord and to live in the way that he would have us to. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with his people. I want you to look with me in your Bibles at the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and I want you to notice how the Apostle Paul will bring all of these things together in one wonderful context. As you well know, the book of Ephesians is the book about the church of Christ. And as we get to chapter 2, we are in the meat, the heart, if you will, of the doctrinal section of this particular book. And you remember that in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about grace. He talks about the need for grace. He talks about the source of grace. He talks about the response to grace. But then he talks about the benefits of grace in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. And the benefits are outlined for us. The, the benefits have to do with reconciliation. They have to do with belonging, a sense of belonging, if you will, with sonship and a number of other things. But I want you to read with me, beginning in Ephesians 2, verse number 11, and we'll read through verse number 22. It's a lengthy reading, but actually, sorry, verse 14 through verse 22. Bear with me. He says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now I want you to notice that as Paul goes through these passages, he has a lot to say about we. And the we that he's describing is Jew and Gentile. And he tells us that the purpose, the reason for the establishment of the church is the reconciling, the making one, if you will, restoring fellowship between, uh, in two areas. There's fellowship between man and God, and then there's fellowship between man and his fellow man. When he talks about the, uh, the uh, enmity, that is the law of ordinances, the middle wall of partition that divided between us, he's talking about the division between Jew and Gentile. When he talks about being reconciled to God in one body by the cross, he's talking about the fact that Jesus came to die on the cross that, we, that he might establish his body, that's the church, in which all people, both Jew and Gentile, are reconciled. That means a broken relationship is, is repaired. We're reconciled together in one to God. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with our fellow man. You see, when we think about fellowship and we think about being members of the church of Christ, what we have to recognize is that 
If there is not a great appreciation within our hearts for the fellowship that we have with God and for the fellowship that we have with one another, then we're missing the big picture. Because according to Ephesians chapter 2, this uniting of, of all people together in unity, this uniting of all people together with their God in one body, which is the church of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the reason why the church exists in the first place. So that we can be together in unity, so that we can be together in fellowship, so that we can enjoy the benefits of fellowship, of being brothers and sisters together in the family of God. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another and for that we should be eternally grateful. But now we also ought to recognize that fellowship has its limits. Fellowship is a blessing, but fellowship has its limits. You see, the circle of fellowship is a lot smaller than some want it to be, but it's a lot bigger than others want it to be. We have, on the one hand, the extreme that we might call ecumenicalism. It's the idea that we can have fellowship with anybody and everybody, regardless of what they believe or what they teach or how they live or what they practice. But then on the other hand, there's the opposite extreme that says, no, the the limits of fellowship are very small. And so unless people fulfill these rules from 1 to 10 and from A to Z, we cannot have fellowship with them. Fellowship has limitations. Fellowship has requirements. And the circle of fellowship is smaller than some want it to be, but it's bigger than others. Fellowship crosses all boundaries. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following. But though it crosses all boundaries, it has limitations. For example, consider Philippians chapter 3 and verse 16. This is what Paul says. He says, let us all mind or let us all walk by the same rule. Philippians 3 and verse 16. Look at the word rule. When he talks about walking or minding the same rule, it's the same thing as if we're talking about a sport, baseball or football or basketball, whatever it might be. Not soccer because that's not a sport. Just kidding. Maybe. But sports have rule books. They have guidelines. And the expectation is that if the athletes are going to involve themselves in the sport, that they're going to have to play according to the rules that are laid out in the rule book governing that sport. Well, when Paul says, let us all walk by the same rule, he's talking about a rule book. Just like in an athletic competition, he says there are rules, there are guidelines that are going to govern what we say and what we believe and how we think and how we live and how we practice. And so let us all walk in accordance with the rules. Well, what are the rules? Let's think about our fellowship with God just for a moment. We talked about the fact that we have fellowship with God, Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 1 and other passages, and for that we should be thankful. But we have to recognize that we serve a God who is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. Be holy, for I am holy. Be perfect as God is perfect. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 48. Uh, The Bible describes the holiness of God, and God's holiness has to do with his uniqueness, with his separateness, if you will, from all of those things that are unholy. 
So what does that mean? Practically what that means is that God cannot have fellowship with anything that's unholy. You're of purer eyes than to behold evil and can't even look on iniquity, the prophet Habakkuk said in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13. Our sin separates us from God. It severs our fellowship, according to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. Is it a blessing and a privilege to have fellowship with God? Yes, absolutely. Should it be a great desire of every person to have fellowship with God? Yes, absolutely. But can fellowship with God be had on any terms at all? No, not, not, not at all. Fellowship with God is violated by sin and by unholiness, and so we can only have fellowship and oneness with God if we come to God on his terms. But fellowship also has guidelines or limitations whenever we're talking about our fellowship with God's people. Sin can ruin the fellowship that exists between people, just like it can ruin the fellowship between a person and God. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of anyone's sins. Sin can put a, can put a barrier between brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the principle of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 as Jesus speaks to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And to many he talks about the fact that if they didn't correct the uh, issues that they had, he talks about the fact that he was going to remove their candlestick. And certainly that is a, a deep study and an important study in and of itself. But suffice it for tonight to say that that is a representation of fellowship. The candlestick representing the fellowship of God with those brethren. We ought not, according to Scripture, have fellowship with those who do not have fellowship with God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove or expose them. We can't have fellowship with darkness, with sin. Even brothers and sisters in Christ who become unfaithful. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We have a brother in that, in that chapter who has become unfaithful to the Lord. He's involved in sexual immorality. And the Bible says that the church at Corinth was puffed up about the matter. They had no intention of dealing with it. And so Paul wrote to them by inspiration and he instructed them to deal with it. He instructed them to withdraw, as we say, to remove their fellowship from that brother for the purpose of bringing him to repentance. We can't have fellowship with those who teach things that are false either. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 17, the Bible tells us that we're not to have fellowship, that we're to withdraw ourselves from anyone who teaches that which is wrong or from anyone who, uh, who uh, causes division within the body of Jesus Christ. John would say it this way in 2 John 9 through 11, that we're not to bid a person who teaches those things which are contrary to the doctrine of Christ. We're not to bid them God's speed. We're not to have any participation or display any sort of approval whatsoever to those things that are uh, taught in violation of God's will. Fellowship is a blessing, but fellowship has its limitations. Fellowship has its requirements. Fellowship uh, can only go so far. Now, the final thing that I'd like for us to think about this evening is how much we ought to desire and how much we ought to appreciate the fellowship that exists within the family of God. I want you to look with me at some passages in the book of, uh, in the book of, uh, 
1 Thessalonians and also in the book of Philippians. Would you look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment? Now we're going to take these passages out of their context just for the sake of time, but as we notice them this evening, what I want you to see is the strong desire that existed within the Apostle Paul to simply be with his brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to see, as he writes with his inspired pen, the heart that he had for his brethren and for those uh, with whom he worked and labored in the cause of Christ. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17. He says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Look down at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and look at what he says in verse 11 through 13. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. What do you see in those passages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 17, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 11 to 13, you see someone in the Apostle Paul who wants very much to travel to Thessalonica, to see them, to be with them, to enjoy their fellowship, to teach them, to strengthen them, to be encouraged by them and to encourage them. What a desire. How about Philippians chapter 1? In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse... Number three, the Apostle Paul relays to them what his constant prayer is. He says this, I thank my God, Philippians 1 verse 3, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. I want you to look close at verse number 7, and I think that you'll find part of the reason why Paul was able to write what he did in 1 Thessalonians 2 and in Philippians 1 and in other places. Notice he says, I have you in my what? I have you in my heart. You see, Paul was not someone that would travel to a place and would uh, only give lip service to being with his brethren. He is not someone that would travel to a place and only spend the minimum amount of time with the church, a minimum amount of time with his brethren. That's not the kind of person that he was. Paul was the kind of person who would completely and utterly invest himself in people. Paul is the kind of person who would empty himself and who would sacrifice himself and go to whatever degree necessary in order to see that the needs of his brothers and sisters in Christ were met. He built great and strong relationships with his brethren. That's why he could say, I have you in my heart. That's why he could say, I long to see you, and as soon as possible, I'm going to come so that I can see you. That's why he could say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, because he loved them and he invested himself in them. The only way that we'll ever truly desire the fellowship uh, that is found 
within the church of Jesus Christ is if we're willing to put forth the same kind of effort. Someone says, well, it doesn't really bother me to be separated from the church all that much. It doesn't really bother me to be on my own, you know. I'm kind of a loner. I, I don't like to be around people. Well, I get that everyone has different personality traits, and it's true. Some people are a little more shy, and some people do like to be to themselves a little bit more often than maybe others. But when someone says that to me, I can't help but step back and wonder, are you putting, are you putting the right amount of effort yourself into the brethren? Are you investing yourself in the church Because if we don't invest ourselves in something, how will we ever miss it if it's taken away from us, do you see? Paul missed them and Paul desired to be with them because he loved them, because he invested himself in them. Listen, fellowship involves working together, Philippians 1 and verse 15. Fellowship involves just being together and exhorting one another, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Fellowship involves helping one another, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Fellowship involves praying for one another, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It involves loving one another, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, and encouraging one another, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16. You will not find a single child of God who can exist in a healthy and proper way without having brethren to work with without having someone to help them sometimes, without having someone to pray for them and to love them and to encourage them and to build them up. We're not designed to exist all all on our own and practice Christianity on our own island somewhere. That's not the intention of the church. That's not God's intention, rather, in the establishment of the church. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? And that's not how God has created us. You know, it's interesting, we think back on the lessons of the previous year and all of the ups and downs, and of course, there was the to-do at the beginning of the pandemic about defining an essential business. And from state to state and city to city, of course, the definition of an essential business would defer a little bit here or there, and it's sort of interesting reading. If you just go back and read some of the news articles from the last year from all the different places in the country about how people were trying to sort through this problem, what's essential and what's not. But there was something that really stuck out to me, something, I should say it this way, that really bothered me a lot, and that is that it seemed that there are a lot of people that when they look at the church, they would say, well, church is not essential, But I beg to differ. Now, I'm not trying to get into the politics of all of it. Don't misunderstand me. The point that I'm trying to make is that fellowship is essential. The blessings and the benefits that we get from being together and from building one another up and from loving and caring for one another, those things are essential. That's how God has designed us. That's how God has designed the church. And there should be within each and every one of us this great and this strong desire, this burning desire to be with our brethren. But not only a desire, an appreciation, a joy, a longing. You see, when we have the ability to come together to see this desire fulfilled, it ought to put a smile on our face, it ought to warm our heart. 
It ought to put us in a position to where the the cares and the struggles of the world, they just go away for a little while. Because right now, here we are with our family, our brethren in Christ, and we care for one another and we love one another and we enjoy spending time together. You know, I think about Hebrews chapter 10 and that passage, Hebrews 10 and verse 25, you know, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together and you know, we, we often talk about the importance of attending worship services. And indeed, attending worship services, it, it's very important for a number of reasons. One, it's commanded, the passage we just noted, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. But here's a question that uh, I, I wonder if it might be good to ponder sometimes. If I'm a person who doesn't find myself struggling with the decision to miss worship services every uh, to miss worship service on a somewhat regular basis i wonder do i really have the appreciation for fellowship that i ought to have because that's part of our our gathering together hebrews 10 and verse number 25 let me give you a challenge tonight if you're here tonight and you are a person who only comes to services on Sunday evenings, but you have the ability to come on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings as well, can I challenge you to reevaluate your mindset on that? Can I challenge you to start thinking about worship services from the standpoint of this is an opportunity for me to go and not only worship God, but to enjoy fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to be encouraged and to be edified and to be uplifted. Let me challenge you to start thinking about worship services, at least to some degree in that way, because listen, If we recognize that every time we miss the services of God's people, we're missing an opportunity for fellowship, maybe it stings a little bit more. And maybe the motivation to be in attendance is a little bit stronger. Fellowship is a great blessing. And it's one that we should never take for granted. But it's rather one that we should treasure in our hearts. And one that we should should look forward to enjoying at every possible opportunity. Fellowship with one another, though, begins with fellowship with God, as we talked about at the beginning of the lesson, 1 John chapter 1. We have fellowship with God, John says, and with his son, and therefore, based on that fact, we have fellowship with one another. You can't have fellowship with the people of God if you're not first part of the family of God. And that happens by becoming a Christian. By believing in the deity of Jesus and repenting of sins, confessing faith, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins so that God can add you to the church. If you've not become a Christian tonight, then you can't enjoy the fellowship that's found within the family of God. But we want you to, and God does too. There are great benefits to it, eternal benefits. If you're a Christian this evening, but you think back and you look back at yourself and you say, you know, I've not been... I've not been enjoying fellowship as I ought to. I've not been investing myself within the church, investing myself into building relationships and and growing closer to my brethren as I ought to. Let me encourage you to change that. 
Let me encourage you to to enjoy fellowship and to make it a priority to be a part of the fellowship of God's people as much as you possibly can. And if we can pray for you, if we can encourage you in some way this evening, then we invite you to come and let that be known while we stand and sing together.